Welcome back to the Librarian Linkover podcast. I am your host, Florine Kennard. My guest today is Margot Note. Margot is principal at Margot Note Consulting. She is also assistant professor at St. John's Library and Information Graduate Program and a faculty member at Sarah Lawrence College. Margot provides the reference assistance of a librarian, the organizing expertise of an archivist, and the intellectual curiosity of a historian. So of course I had to have her on my podcast. Margo, welcome to the Librarian Linkover. Thank you for having me. So excited to talk to you. So tell us why you started your consulting business and what services you offer to your clients. So I have um, three archival, or three services. So it's um, archival advising, records management, and historical research. So I work with private clients, organizations, businesses for kind of general information needs. Um, <clears throat> why I started my consulting business is kind of a funny story. I definitely did not plan on doing it at all. It came out of um, a layoff that happened in 2016. Mm -hmm. And um, the layoff itself was not that bad. It was like ripping a Band-Aid off. It was the <laughs> a year and a half, two years beforehand that, that I knew the layoffs were coming. And so um, at this position that I had before I did my consulting work, I was there for about 10 years. I was working as an archivist, working with um, a fantastic collection, about 50 years worth of assets. And I really poured my energy and work into that collection. Um, <clears throat> but I was never really satisfied um, at that job. So I was definitely, uh, job searching on and off for that 10 years that I was there, mm -hmm. and especially in anticipation of the layoff. And I just could not find that next logical step. Um, that, you know, it was mid-career, I'm based out of um, New York, so looking at the greater New York City area, I just could not find that next step. And so when the layoff happened, um, you know, I was looking at, uh, for particularly for archives, um, there's precarious labor, there's low pay, and there can sometimes be kind of toxic work environments. Just really? To be completely, yeah, <laughs> just to be totally candid. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> I think my experience at that past job with the, the stress of anticipating that layoff and kind of the culture that I was working in, I just thought there has just got to be another way. So I thought, okay, why don't I try consulting? Kind of the worst case scenario is I could fail horribly, um, I could be bankrupt, um, <laughs> and then I just have to get a full-time job anyway. So I might as well just try it because there was basically nothing to lose because everything was kind of taken away and I start I was able to have a clean start. Sure. Um, and so and so now I can say looking back, you know, I've been able to make a viable business. But when I was thinking about working on my own, um, I really did not know what that was going to look like. And I didn't, uh, I didn't necessarily have the support of people around me, mm -hmm. understandably, because I was doing something that was incredibly new and weird. I mean, it's weird enough to work for yourself, but then mm -hmm. also to do things like records management and archives um, is another thing that people just don't understand. Um, but luckily, um, I've been able to make it work. And I'm actually kind of thankful for 
kind of my past experiences because if those things hadn't happened, I wouldn't have um, been kind of desperate enough to try something totally new that turned out to be successful. I had the same experience when I was a corporate librarian. I left to start a freelance research business. And a lot of people were like, what are you doing? What's going on? What if something happens? It's so risky. And I never looked at it as a risk because I was ready. I was ready to do something different. So it never occurred to me that it was a risk. It just seemed like something else I wanted to do. Yeah, I mean, I thought this is the opportunity for me to do it. There was no other choice. Like, I don't think I would have, if I hadn't gotten laid off, I don't think I would have gone out on my mm -hmm. own. But because that was forced upon me, it really made me um, think really widely about my choices. I mean, the day that I decided to do consulting, I basically like cried Aww. on and off all day <laughs> because I know how to, I know the process of getting a job. Like I've done that, you know, since I was like 14, right? Um, but I didn't know what it was like to own a business, especially with no uh, business expertise. And I didn't know what that was going to look like. Um, so I think it, it helps to, to be able to take on that risk mm -hmm. and be able to be kind of brave and fearless because I felt like I had no other choice. That's great. So how has the business side of your consulting firm benefited from your library experiences? Um, so the one way that I think, uh, well, the way, the, the way that I would frame this is I feel like my subject matter expertise is about 10 to 20% of the work that I do. Mm -hmm. And the rest of it is like 80, 90 is actually doing the business part of it. And that's the thing that I had no um, had no idea about. So I don't know if necessarily the library experience helped me with the business. I certainly know that um, my research skills helped me. So being trained as a librarian, if a client comes on with a, a project they want me to help with, and I'm not exactly sure like what the solution is, I know I can research it, I can read mm -hmm. all the literature, and I That's can figure right. it out. Yeah, and I think especially with the business knowledge, um, all of my like my kind of informal MBA um, that <laughs> I got was through library books. So my whole shelf at my local library constantly has business books. I'm mm -hmm. researching and reading, and that's how I've really um, helped myself gain all of that knowledge. And I know that, you know, I can attend meetings or attend webinars, but the one way that my mind can soak up information is through books. And luckily, because I live in New York, there's a fantastic circulating collection of the New York Public Library. Mm -hmm. Before COVID, there was a huge business library that I would visit. So that just gave me an incredible amount of knowledge that I can tap into because I have these librarian skills. That's great. Did your experience working in development make it easier to work with prospects to secure consulting projects? Um, not necessarily. I would say I think the most important part was understanding grants. Mm. So some of the projects that I'm part of are like a New York, uh, a National Endowment of the Humanities, um, a grant right now I'm working on a major project that's funded by Mellon. Mm. So I understand the, um, 
the grant making process inside and outside. So I think working in fundraising and development, I knew that was certainly really important. I knew, I know how to write grants. I help clients write grants or mm -hmm. advise on grants. And then now I'm getting hired to do these grants with these, with these uh, monies. So I know what to create to give to my clients that they can give it to those um, grantees. Sounds like the ice cream man is coming by. Yes, this is a constant. Um, <laughs> this happens all the time, like when I'm like trying to sound very intelligent with clients or with people, the Mr. Softy machine makes its rounds. Oh, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Yeah. Well, I, I was doing training, I think a week or two ago with the Library of Congress. And so, I, and I was talking about project management and archives, and I was being very serious. And then, you know, the Mr. Softy comes around and all in the chat, everyone's like, oh, ice cream time, ice cream time. So it was very funny. No, that's great. Life happens, right? Yeah. This is the Bronx too. It's, it's oh, very hey. uh, loud here. There you go. Have you always been entrepreneurial or did you find that from working in libraries? No. So I never <laughs> thought I would, I would, be working for myself or owning my own business. Um, I was always very much a rules follower. Um, I just never thought that was uh, that was a possibility. And so I think um, I'm very proud of the work that I'm doing now because I have complete ownership of it. Mm -hmm. So I can say yes to things. I can say no to things, and I can ultimately decide you know, what I want to spend my time on. I should say that I think working in libraries, I always had something going on on the side. So all of my um, graduate work was done working full time. Okay. So I was able to balance, always had like my graduate work on the side. So I guess it's entrepreneurial in the mm -hmm. sense that I just sure. didn't do a nine to five job. I always did something extra or I would be writing books on the side mm -hmm. or doing book reviews or having something else that was adding to my career. Mm -hmm. um, I think was something that I just was always um, kind of part of my DNA. And so in, in, in some sense, uh, before I had my consulting company, I knew how to manage time and kind of junk, uh, juggle a lot of commitments. Mm -hmm. um, and be able to focus on doing my, you know, my full-time job well, while also doing these other things. It seems like our profession more than others, like if we have a 40-hour week job, whether we're working evenings, weekends, so many librarians also have something else going on. Other, like most people I know that have, you know, day jobs, they don't do other side hustles or other things. So I don't know if it's because we just have so many interests like by nature, we're curious. We have so many interests that maybe our job isn't always addressing or fulfilling that we have something else going on the side. Yeah, I mean, I think what I found in libraries and working um, before I did consulting, working all in nonprofits is that there, you know, there wasn't really an opportunity. Maybe in the corporate world, this is different, but like if you do extra work, you can be promoted or there's more movement or mm -hmm. I find with libraries and a lot of organizations, they just want you to do that work and they, they don't necessarily want you to take on any extra mm -hmm. or to be curious about taking on other things. And I think what draws people to information work is a deep intellectual curiosity mm -hmm. of wanting to know more, of engaging with things and uh, 
kind of an intellectual pursuit that's not driven by money. Mm -hmm. It's driven by kind of uh, knowledge and wisdom and kind of curiosity. Mm -hmm. So in that case, I think that's the, that, that type of personality trait that's kind of, uh, working towards information work is also going to be taking on other things and, and trying out new projects. When you're talking about your work, how do you frame your library skills or do you just consider them your skill set? It's funny. I don't really talk about my skills so much. So what I found with clients and because I'm primarily doing things that are archives and records management, they have such a pressing problem. It be has become so painful that they really need help. And because if you think about it, especially for people in power in organizations, they don't really necessarily care about mm -hmm. past records or history, or they're looking at kind of future focused, um, you know, making money or getting grants or whatever they're focused on. So, I think when people come to me as potential clients, they are so desperate for help that they kind of, um, I think they're more looking at, have, have I had experience that it's similar? Have I worked on similar mm -hmm. projects? So I talk about kind of past projects I've done either in my consulting work or in past employment. And then I try to make the case that, you know, I worked with these materials so I can work with your materials. So I don't necessarily think they understand, like, if I talked about my skills, I don't think they're that interested in it. Be and also, a lot of what I do is kind of mysterious. Like, mm -hmm. what is archiving? What is records management? What is research? They're not really, in their mind, I think they're looking for, is this someone that can, that seems like she can fix our problems? Right. And then kind of talking about, and then I think they're, like, vetting me to see if I'm, if, I know what I'm doing or mm -hmm. I can speak confidently. So I think I find that I think they like, especially with private clients, they like having a personal archivist and something different. Mm -hmm. um, but for the most part, they have no idea what those <laughs> skills mean. They just want a painful problem solved. That makes sense. Yeah. What suggestions can you give to librarians who want to go into business for themselves? Well, I think the short answer would be um really think about it so uh, one, of, <laughs> one of the um maybe don't do it um it's very I, hard yes it's, very, it's hard. very hard and so this this is why i was interested in doing this particular podcast because i did want to talk about this um but so what i found which i think is very interesting is in the past, people would reach out to me and want business advice, and I would, you know, set up meetings and give them some advice. And I kind of stopped doing that about a year and a half ago, a year ago, and now I've really stopped doing it. Because what I found is that people don't necessarily want advice for business. And I'm, I don't think I'm qualified to really give business advice. I can talk about my experience. But they didn't necessarily want the business advice. I think they were projecting a fantasy about what they think mm -hmm. working for yourself is like, because they might have been coming from um, a place of, you know, I'm not really happy with my career or mm -hmm. where I'm working at. They're looking at the possibilities. And I think that our culture also, maybe I, 
I see it's happening less because of the pandemic, but I think before the pandemic, there was this idea of hustle culture and mm -hmm. boss babes and girl bosses and all that mm -hmm. type of stuff where we really elevate owning your own business. And I think most people can own their own business. I mean, if I was able to figure it out, most people can figure it out. I don't think I'm that much of a genius or a <laughs> business pro or anything like that. I've been able to figure it out, but you also want to figure it out and want to own a business. And I don't think people really want to do this. I think there's something to be said about um, a, a steady paycheck, vacation days, mm -hmm. weekends, benefits. So I, I think sometimes I found personally um, that people are projecting a fantasy and I don't think they're really, they, I don't think they really understand how difficult it can be. I mean, I'm certainly happier now than I've ever been before, but I've cried a lot mm -hmm. more during this consulting business than I ever have before. Um, I would say, uh, I think kind of general advice that I'd give to people kind of career wise is to think about doing um, projects or work that is portable in the sense that um, like do, do an honest day's work at your particular position, right? But then if you are going to volunteer for something, volunteer for a professional organization mm -hmm. outside of your organization, mm -hmm. write an article for a journal outside of your organization, um, do a podcast, do, do something that is that when you leave the organization, um, it's on your resume and it mm -hmm. can, and it can grow with you rather than going all in, in your organization. I think that's what I learned kind of painfully in this, my past position, because I was really doing extra and really going full force and really getting a great archives collection. But once I left, that didn't come with me. So I, I have the experience, mm -hmm. um, but I, all that time that was spent in really going above and beyond what I was being paid to do at a past position, it doesn't leave with me. Whereas my everything I did for my education is on my resume, mm -hmm. my books, my articles, all my other projects are something that make me kind of a more interesting candidate or consultant. Um, so yeah, that's where, a... yeah, oh, go ahead. sorry. That's okay. Well, I was reading like, lean in and all that stuff mm -hmm. where it just like it yeah. you just get exhausted and yeah. it's unrealistic to expect um an an employer to really i mean i've it's unrealistic to expect that if you do extra work that you'll get extra reward right um and you're you're setting yourself up i think to be kind of disappointed and frustrated whereas that that time and energy is so much better spent working on your career versus yes. working on your position. A lot of those things that go against women when you do them, that would work for men that they go against you. You're, if you're trying to advance and show that you have ambition, it doesn't always pay off. Yeah, I mean, that's something that was interesting I was thinking about was that I used to, at an old position, I used to volunteer to do events and I'm, you know, cause they were kind of glamorous and mm -hmm. you, you get to, 
eat great food in the back room and have lots <laughs> of wine and all that type of stuff. But, but then when I started kind of shifting, knowing that I was going to get laid off and I was working on other things, I stopped doing that. So it actually worked against me because before I would always say yes, 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 yes. And then I started saying no, 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 no. And then it was kind of like, well, what's, what's wrong with you? Whereas my colleagues that always said, no, 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 mm -hmm. were male. Um, mm -hmm. They didn't, you know, they weren't seen as being difficult because they happened to change their mind. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that's a really interesting aspect. I think women in work in organizations is fascinating because my husband mentioned something recently where uh, related to a former colleague and then there's a new hire who's a man and the former employee was a woman. And it's like the way that that colleague is being treated is totally different. And I said, well, that's because he's a man. And mm -hmm. my husband, who was kind of oblivious to that type of stuff, was like, oh, yeah. You know, and he and his work, for example, he can get away with kind of being the New Yorker guy that will tell you straight up what's right or what's wrong. Mm -hmm. But as women, if we're like that, it, it can really used against us unfortunately mm -hmm. doesn't fly yeah <laughs> um, to go back to your point about um, people wanting business advice from you mm -hmm. I had the same thing when I started my freelance research business I had a ton of librarians reaching out to me and you know let's have lunch or let's talk I'd love to talk to you about how I can go into business so I'd spend all this time and basically they would say well I really don't like the entrepreneurial part of it I just really want to do research at home and I was like well then you want to telecommute Exactly. Is what you want. And this is like, you know, 15 years ago, I'm like, you need to find a company that will let you telecommute because I don't consider myself a researcher. I'm a business owner first. Cause like you said, you're spending your time on the business things. The actual research is not the most of the time. Exactly. So I had to kind of back away from, I'm like, I can't keep, I'm appreciate people are interested in what I'm doing. Cause it's so different and you know, weird people thought it was crazy and weird, but I was like, I don't, I have to get billable hours. I don't have time to, talk to all these people who just want to work from home. They don't really want to have the business. So I, I put it together as like a package. And when someone would ask me, I'd send them the proposal. Here's my half an hour of my time. Here's what you'll get. And here's what it costs. And of course, nobody wants to pay for that. They just want, you know, they wanted me to hire them. I said, well, I need to find business for myself. Before <laughs> I find enough business for, you know, other people to be hired. Um, but yeah, so, but it's like, it's great that people are interested, but, you know, they have to kind of, they, they don't really know what they're getting into. Exactly. They really don't. Exactly. I mean, I found that, um, and I, I think I've had, I maybe I've come to terms with it. I still have incredible guilt about it, that people reach out and they do want help. But I found myself like I was putting so much time into it. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And I would never hear from people again. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, and then the one thing that happened with me and a colleague that we both work as kind of archival consulting, we had people that we helped, um, plagiarize us for their business oh. website. Oh so we had to involve a lawyer, um, and it completely broke my heart. And mm -hmm. it was a lesson that I needed to learn where I was like, and, and, and the response was like, women in business, we really support, I'm so admiring mm -hmm. of you. And, mm -hmm. and I just thought, well, <laughs> Can yeah. you admire me a little less? <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I just, some credit for what you're stealing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just was kind of really taken aback by it. And so I do have some guilt about not, not being able to help people, but 
I mean, that's also part of what this is too, is, is that it's all on me. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, you have to depend mm-hmm. on yourself. It could be kind of lonely. Um, but ultimately I'm only focused on myself and I have to put my business and my profits first. Mm-hmm. I have been able to kind of the, the way that I justify it in my mind is that with my students, if my students reach out and they need help, um, on any topic, I will spend more time with them. And so Mm -hmm. that's my way of helping and giving Mm -hmm. back and mentoring. Whereas I'm not just answering questions from random people. Mm -mm. No, and I would uh, do just a few speaking things or writing things. And I would refer people to that. Oh, I'm speaking at this place in a few weeks if you wanna, you know, watch that or whatever, instead of me spending time with every individual. But most of that wasn't paid. So at a certain point I had to stop saying, I mean, not that I had, you know, a giant list of people who wanted me to speak, but I just had to say, you know, I, I, I have certain billable time I have to meet. And I understand that you don't pay your speakers, but I don't, I can't, can't do that this year because I, I have other projects. Yeah. I mean, I think that's been kind help of people, helpful. But... Yeah. Where most of the time I don't do anything unless it's mm-hmm. um, related to getting paid in some mm-hmm. way. So I used to do kind of free speaking engagements and I just stopped, mm-hmm. I stopped doing that because I, I have to, I have to keep afloat, right? Right. Nothing, it, this job is so risky. If something happens to me, if I get sick or a major life mm-hmm. event happens and I can't work, I'm in big trouble. So mm-hmm. that's why I really need to focus. I think the pandemic especially has helped in some sense because it really, lowered my seal like my tolerance mm-hmm. so I was able mm-hmm. to say you know I need to be focused like I could especially when it was really bad it was really hard to focus mm-hmm. um, especially oh, being yeah. in New York and that kind mm-hmm. of epicenter so that that gave me the ability just to say unless this is something that can result in paid work I just can't mm-hmm. do it right right so why did you go to library school and based on your career so far, does that reasoning still hold? So I went to library school. Um, well, all of my, most of my jobs were in libraries. So starting like I was shelving books at the local branch library. And then my first um, job out of college was at, at an academic library um, at a college. And so I started doing a master's in history there. And once that master's was finished, I was like, okay, let me go to library school. And um, and I didn't know if I wanted to be a librarian or an archivist. So I thought, okay, let me get my MLS first. And then I can decide if I want to do kind of some further work um, in archives. So that's what happened. So I did my library degree because I did want to work in some type of information field. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the end of that degree, luckily the I don't know if it has it anymore, but the university I went to had kind of a half master's degree in archives that just happened to open up right at the end of that degree. So I just continued on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I think the reasoning still holds. I mean, I think it was valuable, obviously, to have that as an education component. Um, but for me, a degree is just a degree. It's it's the beginning, not the end. Mm-hmm. So while I have all this education, and I if I could figure out a way to do it, I'd continue. I'd get a PhD in some way, but I don't know if that's necessarily in the cards or an MBA, a real MBA. Mm-hmm. But um, 
you know, for me, the degrees were just a start. Mm -hmm. um, they gave me something to work with, um, kind of a foundational knowledge. But what I like about uh, the work that I'm doing is that it's both kind of the best practices that exist kind of in theory, and then how those best practices work in the practicalities of organizational culture. So a lot of times I have best practices that I could advise my clients to do, but if I understand the culture and I know, okay, this will never be implemented, it doesn't mm -hmm. really make any sense. So mm -hmm. I do like having that kind of background of theory and, and, and all that education, but then it's also having that practical application. That was what was so nice about getting my archives degree while working full time in an archives because I was able to take what I was learning in mm -hmm. school and immediately apply it. And because I was just a one person department, I could do whatever I wanted. So mm -hmm. it gave me a lot of freedom. So it almost felt like I had this lab to work with. Um, while I was getting, oh, nice. yeah, I, I mean, I think for not so much for consulting, but I know for employment, um, kind of traditional employment, you need those degrees, mm -hmm. but it's just something to check off. And it's really about how you can apply that knowledge that you gained in school. One of my library school professors used to say the library degree is the hors d'oeuvre, but your career <laughs> is the main dish. It's just, like you say, it's just the beginning. You can't learn everything. You're just getting started. Yeah, and you and you have a sense of kind of the the players. Mm -hmm. um, you get a sense of kind of the ideas and the theories. But yeah, I mean, you. That's what I love about, especially about consulting. It just feels like boot camp. Mm -hmm. Like in the <laughs> five or six years I've done consulting, I feel like that's the equivalent of like 20 extra years of, <laughs> of employment because uh -huh. you just figure things out and you have to deal with different personalities and different projects and problems. It keeps you like sharpened. Yeah. I, I used to say I, I get to do everything and I have to do everything. Yeah. <laughs> Both. Exactly. What kinds of discussions do you have with your library school students about their careers and what kind of what questions do your students have for you about the profession? I'm super interested in this. Yeah, because you know, this it's, is like, you know, we're in such a weird spot in, in for library degrees and for library school and jobs are in different parts of the country have more or less jobs. So I'm super interested in, you know, talking with you because you talk to students all the time. Yeah. So I think for me, I'm kind of surprised that there's not a lot of questions. Oh. Um, and I look back at, so it's very interesting to be a professor and be kind of the other side, because mm -hmm. I remember in library school and with my undergrad and my history degree, I would just put professors up on this pedestal mm -hmm. and I just thought they're so much older than me, so much wiser. And then now <laughs> a professor and I'm like, oh, we are, we're completely clueless <laughs> because I think the more, you know, especially the more, you know, about the field, you realize how much you don't know. So the more mm -hmm. I learn about archives mm -hmm. and business and all these things, I realize there's, there's so much more that I don't know. So, but when I was a student, I didn't really lean on my professors for advice, which I really wish I did. And I really wish my students would do that more. I think there's a real disconnect about school versus work, where I think mm -hmm. a, some students go to graduate school because it's a way for them not to work. Mm. And uh, I, 
I mean, I get it. I mean, that was never my circumstances. Like I did have to, I felt that I had to work full time while going to school part time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but I really wish that students would ask more. I mean, I've had students ask me about specific things like with project management, how to get a PMP certification. I've had students ask me about what it's like to own my own business, but they're not really necessarily leaning on me for that kind of kind of vocational advice. Um, the way that I think of my professorship is um, I'm a real softy, like I'm not like a hard ass professor at all. Um, because I know from looking back at my experiences with professors, I could not tell you anything that I learned. But I do remember, especially an uh, undergraduate or when I was having a really really hard times in my life mm -hmm. that the professors that kind of checked in with me that said, you know, is everything okay? Um, that was more meaningful to me than if they had give, given me business advice. Mm -hmm. And that's certainly what I experienced during the pandemic where I was a thesis advisor for two um, women's history students um, this past year, which was really challenging and a lot of emotional labor. And I mean, yes, we were talking about how to do research and how to use archives and this is how you cite this or this is how you cite that. But primarily what I was doing is kind of being a cheerleader and telling them like, yeah, mm -hmm. you can do this. And I think that's kind of has more meaning. I, I, I would hope in their lives than, you know, this is how you cite in Chicago or mm -hmm. this is where you should look for archives. Um, so I guess oh, if there are listeners that are students right now, definitely um, I would encourage everyone to really try to have an emotional connection with your professors, um, even if it's through email or like a lot of, especially because what I've been doing with has been online. Mm -hmm. So it becomes kind of more transactional um, it doesn't feel like a relationship. So I, and, but I do notice students that make that extra effort. And so later on when they're looking for a reference letter or something mm -hmm. like that, I have something, you know, it doesn't come out of the blue and it's not like a cold ask. Mm -hmm. It's something a little bit warmer. Um, and so, you know, I always, I always encourage um, students to really try to make that connection and lean on your professors as colleagues. One of my classes, I don't know if it was after a holiday or what it was, but like half the students had shown up for class. So the professor's like, there's no point in covering this material if half the people aren't here. So she left and came back and just grabbed like two professors, whoever in their offices. And we just had a conversation like, you should go to conference. What do you wear? Like dress code at work or how to look just like sort of a, a discussion about the profession and it was so valuable and it kind of got me thinking like we never really had any contact with anyone in the profession during the program like we never had any like speakers or um, we did have a project where we had to do like a, everyone pulled the subject out of a hat and you had to do a report on that kind of library and so we had to reach out to someone you know in the community or whatever for that subject but there wasn't I, I guess I afterwards I thought because I was, I reached out to my library school and said, I'm in a corporate library. If you ever need any speakers or whatever, and they've never really taken me up on it. And I thought, you know, it would have been helpful in a class every once in a while to talk to someone who's in the profession, who isn't just the professor, but 
because some of them hadn't been in the profession, you know, in, a, in an actual library in a long time, but to talk to someone who works in a public library or an academic library, or a corporate library, or doing other things, I think it would have really helped, like, because there's so many things we can do that isn't, you don't have to be a reference librarian, you know, everyone goes to library school or a school librarian. So I, I think that's one thing that I think we need more of, and they may be doing it now, it's been a while since I was in library school, but to talk to people who are in the profession that you're trying to get in and just see how is it job hunting? How many interviews do you think you'll have? What do you wear in an interview? Or, you know, what kind of expectation of hours in an academic library? Or just like things that, you know, students might want to know when they're trying to decide what direction to go in. Yeah, I mean, I think especially when professors are tenured, like they mm -hmm. have, they really have no clue about what it's like mm -hmm. to apply for a job. Or at least, you know, I'm an adjunct, so I'm in, I'm working, you know, a working professional and I'm doing mm -hmm. teaching. So in that ways it can give some guidance, but yeah, I mean, I think there's no connection to like mm -hmm. what this is going to look like. I, what the book that I found really fascinating and I tell people to read all the time is, I think it's called Rethinking uh, Information Work by Kim Dowry. And so that was, mm -hmm. it was a great book because she's talking about, you know, the reason that we go into this type of work is I, I certainly was fantasizing about working in a mahogany, you know, uh, library <laughs> uh -huh. and, and I'd be reading, you know, love letters from the forties and like working with <laughs> daguerreotypes and, and, but that's certainly not, that has not been my experience. So I think we're, we're drawn to that type of work because of these beautiful buildings and these beautiful collections. But the type of skills that we have is so applicable to so many different, it can be applied in so many different ways, but we're really stuck in, you can only be a librarian if you work in a library. You can only be an archivist mm -hmm. if you work in an archives. And mm -hmm. that's simply, um, not true and mm -hmm. it's disappointing if that's if that's your narrow way of thinking about it because it's going to be very difficult for you to find employment where i think if you're exposed to how people are using this degree in a multitude of ways you're given a lot more choices what i found too which is kind of interesting and going into the business side is that i think the type of people that are drawn to information work as I said before, are deep thinkers, curious, uh, mm -hmm. mostly introverts. And I've noticed this kind of disdain to, for business and finances and, and worried about mm -hmm. like the practicalities of running an organization, mm -hmm. even a nonprofit. And like, oh, like let's not work at a corporate archives or mm -hmm. like, like, and I think, uh, and I, I, I get that to a certain point because I certainly had that opinion too where it was kind of almost like those things or like having like a huge flashy salary was like kind of beneath me or something. Mm -hmm. But with owning a business, all I'm thinking about is money and finances mm -hmm. and my QuickBooks and mm -hmm. have I been, you know, my They're invoices. always making money. Yeah, and I, I, think, uh, I think it's at the detriment of our field that there's this attitude of, um, whether it's overt or, or covert that somehow salaries or money or this doesn't matter or it's like not something mm -hmm. we're worried about because we have this higher mission and right. i think it really um unfortunately it really could come back to bite us because mm -hmm. um i think part of my 
mission, my personal mission of having a consulting company is I want to make my labor valuable. Right. And so I was seeing it being really discounted in other places. So I was like, I'm going to have a successful business. I'm going to be charging a good rate for Mm -hmm. what I'm doing or a good flat fee or whatever. And Mm -hmm. I'm going to make it worth people's, you know, I'm going to deliver on really high quality work. And that's the way that I was able to really take back my labor and make it valuable. So, you know, it's valuable because I'm helping organizations kind of transform um, whatever problems that they have, but it's also like literally valuable because I'm getting paid for it and on a rate that I think is is, uh, worthy of the work that I'm doing. When I was a public library director, I felt I took it very seriously that I was a steward of taxpayer money. And one of, I was walking by the circulation desk one day and I heard one of my employees say that I was cheap because I wouldn't do whatever. And I just laughed. So the next staff meeting, I said, here's the budget. Here's the last three years of revenues for all of our revenue lines. And here's the last three years of expenses. And it was just like light bulbs were going off. It's like, I'm not cheap. Yeah. I'm just saying, <laughs> we don't have it. We don't have it. So you can figure out where to get whatever you want out of this budget. You can do it but you're not going to be able to, it's not there, but you know, so I, I got them, I kind of showed a lot of them how to read a budget. They would say, can we do this or that? Well, what budget lines are coming out? Everything's to do with money and it's okay. Yeah. That's okay. I mean, that's the reality of like, whether or not you agree to our economic systems, this is the reality that we Mm -hmm. live in. And so, you know, I was really thinking, especially as I'm getting older, like, you know, I don't remember taking a vow of poverty when I went into this field. <laughs> so, you know, and I was just thinking, you know, I, you know, and I'm an able-bodied adult. So I, I wanted full-time employment. Like I didn't want to be uh, right. on a contract or do part-time. Like, you know, right. I, I thought I was, a, I mean, I still think I am like a good candidate for employment. And I just could not find that thing that fit. Um, so that's why, I mean, I think that kind of desperation and that that frustration, I think, pushed me into what I'm doing now, which is ultimately like 10 million times better than what I was doing before. Well, that's good to hear. Yeah. <laughs> good to hear. So where can people find your business on social media? So I'm everywhere on social media. Um, it's usually under Margot Note. So I have um, my Instagram and Margot Note is spelled M-A-R-G-O-T-N-O-T-E. Um, so Instagram, Pinterest, LinkedIn, occasionally on Twitter, um, Facebook, my website, um, all over there. Everywhere. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for doing this. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Me too. Thank you so much. Thank you to Margot Note for being my guest today on the Librarian Linkover. Thank you to my listeners for following, liking, and sharing my podcast. I love hearing from listeners who tell me how useful they find the content that my guests and I have been providing. Please like and follow the Librarian Linkover on your favorite podcast app, on social media, and on thelibrarianlinkover.com. Thank you so much for listening.